Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show, a weekly podcast where artists and performers go to chat about nothing. Hosted by Canadian singer-songwriter Todd Donald. Hey everyone, another wonderful month coming closer to its end. This has been our first post-coronavirus October. I hope you can all still enjoy Halloween in a safe and responsible way. Being that Corona has not come up to Joe Haven, Nunavut yet, or had any cases, my partner and I will still be having little kids knocking at the door, so that, yeah. I will be continuing with my newfound love of zombie movies. Some great classics. Uh, I've watched Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead, and Plan 9 from Outer Space. It's good stuff. Anyway, October has been great so far. I have had Brad Gage on this month talking about being vulnerable, toxic masculinity, uh, having big talk. After that, I had Channel 101 legend David Seeger on, talking about his body of work and career so far. Last week, I got to nerd out with Jonah Ray, a comedian, actor, and musician I adore and idolize. And this week, I'm giving you a conversation with someone who encompasses some of the best things about all of those conversations. There's big talk here. There's work that she's responsible for that I adore And uh, I find them fascinating to talk with. I got to read her book, Fun at Work, subtitled Transform Your Career with Improv, which is a fascinating study and demonstration of improv and how it helps people become their best. It gives a bit of the history of improv. It delivers her personal experience in life and how improv shaped and enhanced it as a person and as an artist and performer. I'm talking about Lauren Stein. Uh, Lauren is someone I got to meet in the summertime while visiting another guest on the show this year, Laura Bailey. They are indeed flatmates. And I was enthralled to once again chat with someone who's back in Ontario, specifically Guelph, not too far from my parents' place. I was um, enthralled to record a conversation with someone I've met in person and chatted with before, uh, this time breaking apart and exploring that thing that I've always loved but never got involved with, improv. I haven't seen her perform live, but uh, from talking with her and after reading her book, I think Lauren is riveting, amazing, funny and fun, and now you get to enjoy your coffee or commute or whatever with us now. P.S. After putting together last week's episode, I'm kind of antsy to play music again on the show, uh, regardless of what the guest does, since it's been a while that I've had a musical guest on the show where I would normally feature music by them. Uh, And I've been selecting and pirating moments from comedy videos, which is fun, too, and I think necessary. Of course, with music, it's all in what you're listening to. I'd like to put some songs in this episode, the first of which is my good friends, friends of the show, Ophelia Syndrome. This song is called Wayne. It's from their album North Sea. Check it out. And then we'll be back with author and improv teacher and participant, Lauren Stein. Up on you and you won't know from where he came 
you born in 84? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're like twins. That's crazy. And in a good way, in terms of not me, not me coming at this from, um, I think I'm a huge dum-dum place, but in sometimes I think I am. Part of the interview and my prep is just wanting to tell you how in awe I am of you or anyone who um, not only takes an academic interest in or professional pursuit in stuff that I'm very interested, like anyone who can show you a, a shelf of books that they've studied that are math related, that impresses me. But when it comes to improv and performing, and you know, you read your book, and then you look at this bibliography at the end, I recognize a lot of this stuff, Alan Moore, Tina Fey. And (laughs) I'm just like, I love reading. I've read some books, but I'm in awe of what you've studied and what you've done academically, your bachelor, your master. And maybe I'll use this. And I just want to tell you how I have enormous respect for you, the dedication alone, and what you bring out with your book fun at work of course i appreciate that so much i want to either write that down or have it recorded i love what you said (laughs) (laughs) if you were 10 years younger than me i would start to feel really bad about myself and my lack of not material accomplishment but the choice and dedication to bring oneself to that level of understanding and practice you know what i mean that's so lovely i really appreciate that Oh, no problem. Um, it's so important to hear that because um, I really value your appreciation of inner work and study because a lot of my self-evaluation is outer success. I see myself as like not famous or advanced in my career or making tons of money or like literally making my money from doing improv all the time. So to me, I'm like, oh, I'm such a failure. And to hear you say, look, you've studied, you've written, you've read, you like, this is success. It's like, oh. That's nice. Well, it is. I think everyone I talk to on the podcast is on a different part of the external validation or success spectrum, right? You know, I've always loved music and comedy and performing and especially improvisation of any kind in music or theater, like like improv jazz, for example, involves an understanding and grasp of tools. But when they're in play... And especially when a group of people are locked together in something or can support each other in such a way, it's one of the most beautiful things in the world to put something that you've put very well in the most simple terms. It's beautiful to, to hear musicians going into another dimension in front of you, as well as people up on stage, like creating a story. We've started. I, I kind of want to like really start off by just asking you as you're sitting down, what are you coming to it with? Like, what are you feeling now, lately? One of the things I'm bringing is change and uncertainty. And I mean, that's the order of the day. That's the world situation under COVID. And that's also the highlight feature of improv, which is about shifting with change. I think improv is one of the most important things for the world right now, because it's the tools of improving your ability to adapt to change. What this means for me in this interview where I am this day that we're recording, which happens to be, you know, Wednesday, October 7th, your birthday. Amazing. (laughs) One of the things I'm changing is the subtitle and the kind of pivot of the book, because one of the things like I wanted to highlight was that my book took place at a workplace. So I called it Transform Your Career with Improv. But moving forward, I'm going to really emphasize the mental health benefits of improv, which also includes like what I just said earlier about your ability to adapt to change. And so I think I'm going to have a new subtitle. So it's going to be fun at work, play your way to better mental health. It works because this, I wrote this book as part of my master's thesis in expressive arts therapy. And what I was really studying is the mental health benefits of improvising, the effects that it would have on people. When you say that Mm -hmm. and the benefits that improv has, well, at this Mm -hmm. moment I'm drawing blanks and I'm like, oh God, is that because I'm 36? Is this what happens? Is it because of my genetics and being 36 and what (laughs) my certain timeline will? I don't want to lean on notes I want to be better at being in the moment in just in general. As much as I love comedy, I, I see and through your well-written words, the benefits of, of applying improv into how you interact with your day-to-day life and everything. So what I'm wondering is, is it possible if someone like me at this point in my life and I'm worried that my brain's dying, could it be applied like Awakenings with De Niro and uh, Robin Williams? Could it... <laughs> Is, is there a chance that like that improv can sharpen as much as possible one's mind? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm recommending it to my friends. I think it allows you to see connections between things. It allows you sometimes to think on your feet like really quickly. Um, there are a lot of exercises that are specifically designed to change your brains in certain ways. One of them, for example, is to get you more connected to other people and to be able to like guess a word at the same time. Um, one of the games in my book called Threads is a real mind trip. Like there are a lot of, there are certain exercises once you play it, you're like not even seeing the world the same way. So yeah, absolutely. I would recommend in the same way that there are certain games to play every day or something like a lot, there are a lot of improv games that will, and you know, knowing that I would say be very, be aware of that and like be aware of the impacts because some improv games will make you faster or will say yes to everything or not like try it once and you're always going to now say yes to everything, yeah. but it'll affect you. <laughs> be aware. Yeah. And I also really appreciate the question because it highlights one of the, um, I think unique aspects of my book in terms of improv literature, which is the importance of first person experience. I love you speaking and asking from your own things you actually want to know. And um, I love the idea of sharing stories of how imp improv affected us. Cause I, I draw on a lot of those and I get very personal in my book and in a lot of my writings where I'm like, I could give you all kinds of abstract scientific data or the story, the one in a million story of like what happened to somebody, but like to tell you in real time, as I was teaching, here's my experience is like an insight into just a, a more um, right there. For me, it's richer to have a personal narrative be the dominant part, whether it calculates uh, in the word count to be that or not. I mean, you do provide a lot of, you, you, you provide the history, you provide a lot of the activities and exchanges but like it's threaded through everything, uh, the dialogue between you and the whoever's reading the personal experience. Uh, that that was probably the main thing that engages everything else in it. I guess I'm no literary expert or professor. That's that's what I gleaned. Take two improv pills and call me in the morning is pretty much. I'm kidding, but I liked it a lot. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. And to speak to work count, I actually had to cut out a lot. Cause like I said too much about myself and it was like the, the book needed to be shorter. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like, uh, really Lauren, you're just too much about yourself. So, uh, <laughs> so I didn't, I, I did not use it to pad anything. I, I kept it as minimal ad, but also as effusive and like informative as possible. But yeah, I, I agree with your assessment. Take two improv pills, call me in the morning. Take two games, call me in the morning. Right. <laughs> Okay, I'd like to play a song by another friend of the show's, another past guest as well. I've been playing some of Paige Warner's new singles, the ones closely released to when I've put them on the show. This song is from the Revealed EP that came out in spring 2018, around the time I first interviewed her. And the song, which I have not played on the podcast before, is called String of Three. Thank you. 
before I go on and more into the book, I, I kind of wanted to just have a, a, a mm-hmm. personal reflection on uh, mm-hmm. working on it here. Just a reflection on, on how we got to this point from never having met before to now. I wanted to say to you something that you already know, but to the listener, I, I had the privilege of meeting and having on the podcast, Laura Bailey, who you're both still roommates. That hasn't changed mm-hmm. in the last few months. So Laura Bailey went on the show with me. We chatted a few times, wonderful person, super talented singer, songwriter, performer, and human. This past summer, we did a socially distant, everybody, socially distant and safe coffee and hangout. Okay. And that's and that's how I met you. I could speak very much the same thing. I think you were a wonderful human being. I, I immediately loved talking with you. And when you told me I had a book, I was back into reading at that point. And then, and then, and then we started chatting. And uh, through that, you offering me or maybe initiating an opportunity which I don't take lightly. I, I always, the opportunities to work with someone else on something are always a huge deal, especially if you're someone like me who might have grown up a bit more sheltered or afraid of interacting for most of their life. So we were talking about some audio work. I say yes and to that because my heart wants to, because I'm willing to, and, and, and I would never say yes or want to with anyone I wasn't fond of as a person. So I'm publicly saying I'm sorry that I didn't consider time and circumstance as well as I could enough to follow through on that. And you've been very kind. You you are kind and you were very kind about it and understanding. And look at us now. We're talking about it and laughing. I will say you did help me very much How? because you told me about Anchor.fm. And the, part of the reason I gave up on my podcast two years ago when I first recorded and wanted it is because I couldn't find a place to like publish podcasts. Right. And because of your advice, because of your interest, you got me to like dig up those, as I said, two years old audio files and like, and you got Laura and I recording stuff. So like, I now have a podcast thanks to you. All right. I could take credit for the idea. And you're not saying this, but despite my um, irresponsible... Good things came out of it. I'm kidding. I'm harder on myself than others would want me to be, I guess. I think it's a, it's an important topic to talk about the limitations of yes and and the dangers of someone who actually says yes and to every opportunity because right. I am somewhat one of those people and I am very well versed in how that can be dangerous a lot. But sometimes it just works out well. So I still, you know, more often than not recommend just say yes and and see what happens. I'm sure in our shared also, no. time on this earth that we've both gotten a lot better at it. To anyone out there. Yeah. As I said, know your limitations, stick to your word, be aware of what you can commit to, but also yes and things when you don't have really good reason not to. Right. Wanted to point out the day that we had our socially distant visit was Nunavut Day and you were visiting from Nunavut. So I was really excited to be able to celebrate it in that way. Just the outline that can be read in, in your bio in the book to sort of like break it down a bit further as we go. You have a bachelor's degree in drama, an associate of Trinity College of London in speech and drama, and a master's mm-hmm. in expressive arts and therapy. As you clarified, you were you were writing the book during that time, or what became the book, right? Teaching for the last 12, 13 years. No big deal, right? Yeah, maybe longer. But yeah, it's just, you know, some of the things I've done lately, not so lately. The book tells me that you were diagnosed with ADHD as a child, right? And you credit that for your level of creativity, curiosity, risk-taking, and love of learning and examining. But the downsides are what they are, right? It's hard to focus, and even more so, the higher on the monotony scale the task is. At five, is that when you became interested in acting? Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And- I, that's when I was like, my parents signed me up for you know community theater type a kid's play program and I was like this is what I want to do and then I just kept doing it and they kept signing me up for after school programs my entire school career until I you know got a bachelor's in it because I'm like this is the only thing I've ever wanted to do how did it help you sort of sorry this is such a simple question how how, how did it help without being profound develop counteractive abilities were you able to see it helping you yeah. uh, in real time? Yeah, and my parents saw it. Like one of the big impacts of my ADHD is I had no social skills. I have only an outdoor voice. So indoors, I was constantly told to like be quieter, which is really funny because now as a singer and speaker, I could, you know, it, it helped because I can project. I can speak on a stage to 
a room full of people very far away, some of them. And okay, so that's one of the things. And then another is just, I'm like always wanting attention and being in theater allowed me to balance like when and for what, what would people want to look at? And when are those moments where like, holding back is powerful and then jumping out is amazing as opposed to like always screaming and always, you know, like so, so, so many micro lessons, how people perceive me, how other people are. Like, I don't understand other people. I'm just going to have to admit that. I don't understand how most people think it's just me in my head. Right. Right. But when I'm given a script and, and have to read this other character, and get into the mind of a playwright and the mind of a fictional character. I'm like, oh, this is how that other person would think. And likewise with improv, I make up a character and then it's just like, I have to do this thing. If this is true about this character, what else is true? Or if someone ascribes me a certain job or that I'm their mother or whatever, like now I have to imagine what would be real about that character. So that gives me a lot of empathy there have been a lot of fun thought experiments. I'm really, it, it helped me realize my interest in psychology. Um, so many things it goes on, but I'm a completely different person because of that training. I don't suppose, life. or maybe I feel entirely like, I wouldn't want to say anyone is underqualified, but I'm, I'm like a book like Fun at Work is, is being written by someone who can definitely and for sure speak to the benefits of performing and, and improv and that kind of connection of things through, can we call it an art form? Yes. Actually, that was one of the purposes of writing this book was like, I've been going on forever about how great improv was. How can I like prove that to someone or how can I use other people's words or measure um, and research how it benefits people and, and quantify it? So part of the task was to, I worked with eight people through the six week process and had them journal throughout it and, and said, you can write about anything, anything at all in your personal life, whatever you want. And then finding threads, commonalities between what a lot of them were writing and noticing the research helped me see how improv helps other people in ways that I hadn't thought of for my limited experience, just being me. And being a teacher of it, that's a huge gift to give others. You know, the, the the number adds up. There's an art army of beautiful art happening out there. Sorry to use like such a, a stupid <laughs> word, but like some people only get things through military terms. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful and enormous gift to activate others in such such a way that I, I, I again, I, I'm sort of run math under the bus, but like math is good in its own way, right? Not something I'm interested in. Performing art, improv. Enormous gift, and, you, and you, you're not just giving it to people who might be keen on performing, you know, as, as you say in the book, you're giving that gift as a teacher and through this study and reflection of it to people who don't even realize the benefits of it, people in office work. That sounds like someone who doesn't know what jobs there are. What called you into the idea of teaching? The initial reason was very pragmatic, but then it took on a life of its own. So I've always wanted to be an actress. And then when I f discovered long form improvisation as an art form, I was blown away and like, forget scripts. I want to make up stuff. And I really wanted this to be my living and found it's not. I think there are very few people on the planet who make money off performing alone. And a lot of them just perform sketch. So they improvise and then they script it. And I was like, okay, how else can I make money? And I got into, well, teaching, um, hoping that would make money, whether it does or not is a whole other thing. But once I got into it, I realized this, this is an art form in and of itself. Noticing the energy of a classroom, tending to multiple people at once and what each one needs to learn or needs to practice and giving everyone equal opportunities, balancing those who like, jump up and go, I want to be in a scene against those who hold back and are like, I never want to be in a scene. Like all kinds of ways of teaching and holding space and allowing people to grow and discover and fall in love with improv in their own ways and for their own reasons. So yeah, teaching improv is such a different and lovely experience. And I, I and that. as you said, I love doing it with people who haven't necessarily done it before. It's just right. like, let me introduce you to this magic. For the next song, this is really cool for me. I was talking last week about discovering and reaching out to other singer-songwriters back in the early 2000s. This is, in fact, one of those artists. I have no idea how to track them down or find them now, but Ian Simpson 
uh, was someone I did email and get in touch with regarding music in 2004. Really nice guy. They put out this album called Montague's Lunchtime Special under the name The Family Simpson. Uh, his Aberdeen Scotland accent pushes right on through. He sounds like a, if you were to take Ben and Ian from Gomez and make them one person, that's sort of what he sounds like. And this recording embodies everything I've come to love and miss about that early 2000s indie recording, the digital hiss, the way guitars were pushed around and the robotic distortion. You'll hear it all here. It sounds terrific. Uh, um, and when it was being put to good use by people who wrote great songs and sang really nicely. Uh, so good. Please enjoy this gem called Soup by Ian Simpson. this half an hour in but for those in the back i don't imagine there's anyone who who knows about this podcast or would listen to it that isn't already up on what improv is do you want to give me the laurenstein answer to the question what is improv i like that the laurenstein and i also really love that we're talking about we're defining it in the middle that's also a very improv thing to do is to start the scene in the middle which we did we started this podcast like as if we were in the middle of the conversation we didn't like hi how are you doing what's the weather so not that there's anything wrong with small talk but it's just lovely to like let's just go there and then and then we'll figure it out later like, yeah something <laughs> and then define it later that's great improv is an art form and magic some have called it the art of making things up as you go along 
it to me is a form of theater and my background is in theater not in stand-up comedy that is a very different art form and it's inventing it's creating scenes it's creating dialogues creating scenarios that weren't there before i think that would be the simplest mm-hmm. i can also say like isn't life improvised very much so if you've ever had a conversation like this one where we didn't script it in advance and it also requires a lot of skills such as listening such as noticing because it's easy enough when you're actually in a warehouse and there's a a loud noise to be like i'm here there's a thing i'm with you who i know in this way but when you're not those things and you have to like not only pretend that but discover together that that's where you are that this is who you are to each other this is what's happening that really requires a connection and a gift to agree like we're going to build this thing together and it's also there's too much in this world that's about competing and like disagreeing with each other and trying to get your way trying to haggle the price down trying to haggle it up you know whereas improvising is like okay we're going to create this beautiful thing together and we have to be in agreement and we have to discover something and we're just going to have fun with it that's profound also things i think fun is profound i i need to get that out there that's a whole other thing that we really undervalue but what were you going to say from one of the last things you said it seems like our species and planet could uh, gather together in that way it would be beneficial <laughs> all over the place 100%. in all sorts of ways like, like in, in, instead of the planet dying and us uh tearing each other apart the alternative would be amazing that's an easy thing to say Sorry. it's true yeah Maybe my, you know, that's why my trajectory is performer to teacher to writer to like, you know, I don't know, world leader of some kind. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. We need to get together as a planet, especially like the young people raised by Greta Thunberg, you know, to be like, all right, we're inheriting this mess, this hot mess of a million tangled problems. And like, how can we undo each one? We have to work together and figure out, is this actually beneficial? Do we like, how do we get along? Honestly, if we get along, we would do away with like 50% of the things out there. We would do away with a lot, some of what lawyers have to do. We would do away with a lot of like what bureaucracy has to do. We would do away with a lot of what police have to do. Like if we could just figure out how to agree and trust each other and desire to work together, there'd be so much less inefficiency. And now you got me talking about a whole thing. (laughs) But I agree. And the world would be so much more fun. Here's the thing. I like going to those places. I find it rich. I find it gets me out of my own head to be involved in a two or more way interaction about such things. I also see my podcast as an entity that is more so meant to reflect you and me actually like legit talking over coffee and recording it. There's a focus on you and I will talk about myself because that's my thing I do. It's not meant to be too reined in, but you know, we could we could go to a smaller place than than that than saving the planet. Although, I mean, the possibilities is is a beautiful thing. It helps you feel not so alone. Yeah. We could yeah. hone in on one aspect of saving the planet. It's like when you cut up a holograph, every piece reflects that whole image. Mm-hmm. So even if we just hone on on something like mental health and how vastly improved a person's mental health would be from doing improv and getting to that mindset, you could then see how that would improve whole systems and whole communities and countries of people. Within the group of people that gravitate towards improv or studying or learning it from you, without with little to no persuasion or suggestion externally to them, how diverse an array of people is that? Or do they all do they all feel the same? You know, if if business people are just told that they should go to this improv retreat sort of lesson thing. They're probably all just coming at it from a standpoint of like, I'm giving this a shot. But like, I'm talking about the people who are like, I seek this. Is that way too much prefacing? I mean, the answer is very diverse. I've worked with people who sought it out and I've worked with people who didn't seek it out. I have so many uh, different thoughts about this because now I'm more interested in those who don't. Like, and I'll say some of the people who I, um, because I used to teach weekly Uh, drop-in classes for a few years and I would meet people anywhere and everywhere because I'm very extroverted I go to events and host events all the time and like people would meet me and be like what drug is she on 
how is she so uh. present and social and and i would just be like improv baby that's it mm. and so sometimes they would take the class because they wanted to get to know what i'm doing or some other kind of reason as opposed to the people who I find this like almost rare when I meet them and I'm like, I teach improv and they're like, Oh, I want that. <laughs> I find that so much less often than the people who are like, Oh, I would never, I'm so terrified. But then they hopefully come around. So the people who want to can be anyone, you know, for any reason at any time, it can be the people who someone else has said, like, you should really try this or who watch it for years going, Ha ha ha, I love that. I could never. And then finally they're like, well, maybe I could try to, you know, people who've seen others do it. So was the question what brings them in or was the question what happens when they get there? No, a very Todd Donald show thing will be sometimes that (laughs) I have a very abstract and open-ended thought that I don't even want to, I love what you said. And I think we could move on. And I'm going to say yes and to my own idea. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to know what happens when those people get in the room? If you're offering. Yeah, it's just amazing. I get, usually we do, we start out with silly warmups and people are very quickly won over. And I'm, I'm often surprised because they're like, I was so terrified before I came here. And I'm like, really? You seem to be having a great time. Yeah, well, you made it easy and comfortable. So we just do some fun, silly stuff to get into it and then um the skill level escalates as people are tasked with more maybe thought required or outside their previous comfort zone type activities but that really is what everyone it's honestly like if you've had a conversation at any point in your life then you've basically improvised you already know how to do this just doing it like in front of people or as someone other than yourself or even as yourself, a lot of people just play themselves in like situations that they may or may not have been in. So yeah, it's just fun and wonderfulness when that happens. You give this gift to people and I'm sure you would have no reason not to credit yourself and your ability to parcel what you know and what you've practiced out to others. But the invention of improv is something that you've looked to others before you for like for the book that you studied the uh, Neva or Neva Boyd Viola Spolin the people who created Second City so Lauren now that I've talked too much again who is someone doesn't have to be someone who's well known like I adore Tina Fey and Bill Murray those are like the pinnacle examples in my lifetime of people who embody a full practice and who apply it to not just comedy but into all sorts of things but who's someone who's someone that you think of as a grand figure that's inspired you and who you've looked to in improv? So many people. No, one. Um, you get one. I'm kidding. Really? One? No, it's fine. You can <laughs> Okay, good. So as writers, you know, also Tina Fey and she and David Sedaris are two of the only writers who like actually make me laugh out loud. So good. Um, bossy pants and another writer by the way who i was thinking about hearing you talk is jeffrey sweet who wrote something wonderful right away he went around he's not an actor he's a right he's a journalist and a playwright and he just interviewed a lot of the original actors and ended up compiling this amazing oral history so it just it made me think of like the what you're doing with your podcast of like by interviewing people you're part of history like their history and these things Mm -hmm. um as perform well as teachers because I'm more that, I guess, like actual performers would be the last way I'd answer this question. But teachers, there a lot of them I credit in the book. David Rozowski, who rankles me, but like really gets you to think about improv in a whole other way. And I do have a chapter that was like kind of motivated by his style of teaching. There's also Carol Fox Prescott, who's more an acting teacher, but she really focuses on the breath and how to how to do exercises where we just stare at each other and breathe. And that type of slowing down really showed me there's so much more that can be discovered improv doesn't have to be like big wacky hey it can literally be like i'm looking at you and this look is worth a thousand words so that type of stuff with um gary austin the late great founder of um groundlings in la he's just super fun like he'll notice the fun things and say do more that you did that thing for a second do more of that that's the funnest thing in the scene and um michael gelman who's about discovering like i want to i want to see the two of you you're on a park look out at things i want to actually see what you're looking at based on how you discover it and one of his goals is to improvise a play at night and then send it off to samuel french in the morning for printing as a play 
like that was good enough that could you know be a script um, and i'm really inspired by that um that dream that goal um, there's also scotty watson at artistic new directions lovely canadian so so many great teachers and in terms of performers like who do i actually watch and go that's a great improviser um i think it's hard to say because as, as you said they might not be well known but i really appreciate um in toronto but he, he might be in la now um isaac kessler he and ken hall work together a lot and they're very physically different and very funny about like they own what they got and just gentlemen like isaac has been so great to work with i've i've directed him before i've taken classes that he's hosted he's just such a mensch as well as a great performer i think that's really important too like to be a mm -hmm. decent human being someone who i actually want to like this sit and have coffee with not everyone is like that and i think that's i think that's a big deal the last song that i'm going to put on this episode here is by tay lynn a guest on the show almost a year ago now but it feels recent it's one of the last guests that I recorded in person. Such a cool, kind, funny, and talented person. This is Tay Lynn from her They Know EP, and the song is called Breakthrough. If I'm doing my job right, then the people listening to this podcast either know who you're talking about already or they know how to Google the name and they will because of your enthusiasm talking about them. That's what I see. Can that might not help you, but I hope the interaction will have. I'd rather raise the name of someone who's not yet as well known than you know, drop a name that like, okay, everyone's heard of that. That's great. Yeah, I, I've I've really enjoyed this chat so far, and if it was just a coffee social, we could we could go for longer. Uh, but there's and there's so much more that I would love to chat with you about in this recording. But I do have sort of like um, a super super wacky crazy. I'm kidding. <laughs> Give us a location. No, it's a it's like a little kitchen sink lightning round that I like to to end the show off with. Now, are you game? Yeah. What role does being creative or performing? need to play in your life for you to be happy and fulfilled if you're already there awesome 
But if it's something that you want to uh, sort of share your philosophy on, then that's also a fine answer. So much to say to that. Oh, do I have to like give a quick ans- short answer? No. Okay. I think it's incredibly important. I think that like we're all creative human beings. We've come from millennia of weaving baskets, sewing clothes, building huts to like, you know, sitting around turning on a microwave at this convenience dinner that we bought at the supermarket. We're just like not living our creativity, a lot of people. And it's, it's like exercise. It's a thing that we, you know, physically and mentally need. So that's part of my answer. What role do I want to explain? I want to be creating all the time and thinking about life in creative ways. One of the, I'm sorry to offend people, but a, a saying that I really hate is it is what it is. I fundamentally disagree yeah. with that. To me, like nothing is what it is. Everything I look at, I'm like, that's five different things or that could be different. Like what if it wasn't what it is? What else could it be? Just looking at it that way it just opens doors and opportunities and allows so much more to be possible in my interactions, in my relationships, in objects around the house. Like there are just so many fun ways to live your life. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to spend it. You know what? Here's, here's a game. Go to a yard sale and buy a thing that you don't have the actual use for, but like use it in a completely different way. Or just use things that you already have in your house that you're not using in a completely different way. I challenge you to do that with five or 10 things, you know. If you find that to be your jam, you'll like transform the space you're in and find so many cool ways to live your space. I really dig one it. one of possibilities. Great. Thanks. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's Zoom. That was perfect. I understand enough to know there's no way in hell that I would ask for you to um, give me an activity that I could do in the Arctic with no one that would help me get prepared to be on stage and deliver a full on a full Nelson of uh, a full Herald. <laughs> But I, 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 I would like to know if maybe there were some activities that would help. Did you just challenge me? I'll take you up on that. Honestly, if the answer is not, Todd, I'm kind of offended that you think it's something that I could just give you a, a small dose of. You need to dedicate this much time. Like I, I feel like it deserves the respect and time of getting in a group of people and, and spending hours. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't want to offend improv or you by saying... Isn't it something that you could just give me a small dose of that I can fit in? Yes, I think. Sorry, I just built up in my mind a scenario where I came to the Nunavut uh, to the I came to Nunavut and spent a weekend with you, just teaching you stuff, so that by the end of it you could do a performance. And I am so game to do that. That would be lovely. Not even just a performance, just a way of sort of enhancing my ability to regularly do this podcast in a more in the moment way, comfortable way. The applications in everywhere of life (laughs) um Mm -hmm. um, anyway sorry wow uh i my heart wants to say that to you and i thank you i was hoping it would i love it and i love the idea of you uh yeah one thing i recommend is take an improv class there are some great ones online one group i love is the artistic new directions in new york they're doing online tuesday nights and like scotty watson improv.com he's doing them like every night so and and also feel free to ask me to uh, put together a workshop for you or maybe you and 10 friends. But on the spot, um, I hope that my book gave you some examples. There are so many, like, do you want to, do you want to do an exercise or do you want me to tell you something you can do it safely at home? Otherwise I would say, let's continue. Let's continue this off mic and like, let's, yeah, we could do, I would love to just do more stuff. Improv. The second question in the lightning round, this has been redundant sometimes. If you play dumb electronic games at all, What's the dumbest electronic game that you've spent the most time with? That's a good 21st century question. I yeah. <laughs> uh, somewhat fail in popular culture. Like <laughs> I just played a game last night with an 11 year old. That was fun. It involved walking around a little town, going into buildings and talking to the one NPC that was just standing around waiting for you to walk into its little building but if you were to like the cumulative amount of my life, I just did, I did more so as a kid. So it would be yeah. handheld Beauty and the Beast game or yeah, I did like Mario and Duck Hunt and Sonic, but probably, or and Tetris. Oh, I know, computer games when I was a teen. So that would be between Minesweeper, Solitaire, Spider Solitaire and Snood. Nice. I used to play those a lot and then I would close my eyes 
to go to sleep and I would be like playing Snood or Minesweeper with my eyes closed. Well, that's that's still a fun answer. There's no wrong answer. I, I find that I get just as interesting answers from... The question actually is like, what's the dumbest game app on your phone? And it- Oh, I'm going to fail at that. I have, I have Labyrinthos, which is like a tarot reading. That's kind of the closest thing to a game. I used to have deleting apps, but I've deleted those. And that really is a game. It's just like, who exists? What can I imagine about their world? Oh. And that's the biggest thing I got out of dating apps. Like, what kind of lifestyle do they live? That's fun. Right. It's a good improv game. Love it. The second last question is, what's the worst thing that someone could say to you? What's the worst thing someone can say? In like terms to, of, I'll say like, to you, like about you. To me, about me. Because I was going to say, in general, I think one of the worst things that anyone could say anyone is, you are not enough. And one time I started an improv scene with, you know what, I'm just going to say that. You are not enough. And mm-hmm. it made for an interesting scene. What's the worst thing someone could say to me about me? Like, how do I give someone ammo? I don't know. Um, And I was thinking about this, about like, it's really good to be in a place where no matter what, whatever someone says to me, it's like, yeah, I used to be bad about that. I think I'm better today. That would be amazing. But I'm sure, I I guess the worst thing, like I love attention. So the worst thing is to not talk to me, like to ignore me or ghost me or just say that I am not funny or that I don't know what I'm talking about, which often is the case, but about something that I think I do know that I'm talking about, or that I'm not as good as most people out there in a thing that I think I'm actually good at. Those would suck. Mm-hmm. Is that answering question? It does. Yeah. I like to treat these as open-ended. I, I find it interesting to bring it back to like having met you and talked to you before now and this conversation as well. I couldn't imagine why someone would say those things. And the old maxim of what someone says about you is just a reflection of themselves applies. The thing you said about like someone saying that you don't know enough of what you're talking about or something is ridiculous. Like the idea that someone would expect if you're, if you're to engage with the holiness of me, you better know what I know. That's funny though. Yeah. And it's totally true. It's a reflection of them. Not me. Like if someone says, I'm not funny. I'm like, I think I'm funny. So if you don't, then that's sad. You don't get my jokes. Like I don't, I'm not, it's not going to register as like, therefore I'm not funny. But yeah, if someone says I don't know enough about it, like people have said that like, oh, you don't know, you know, a lot about improv or something, not having read my book, just having me telling them, you know, I've done it for a long time. And they're like, you're full of shit. And I'm just like, sorry, like, why do you think that? Oh, Um, my word. I, I realized that I owed you so much more of, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're really letting them down, Lauren. Yeah, like you. I'm lacking a specific thing that they're expecting. Like I would only acknowledge your wisdom or experience if you own, if you specifically did things that I saw. And I'm like, well, you live in a you know small city I just moved to. I haven't been in your face before this conversation. Like, what are you expecting from me? Yeah. Maybe that person's uh, just lost their job or uh, got told they have a small thing or something. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. What's the best thing that someone could say to you? Some of the things you've said to me are the best things. I really love hearing not just like compliment or praise, but like genuine feedback about a thing that I hadn't even considered, you know, respected for doing research or having read this many books about a subject and seeing that in the light of like, this is a worthwhile thing. (sighs) That's the kind of thing that I'm like, wow, I hadn't, I had not heard that one so much, so many times before. I don't know if ever. Yeah. A lot of things. There's so many wonderful things people can say to me. Thank you. I mean, (sighs) yeah, same. Like I I am worth it. And then I do know what I'm talking about and that uh, my crazy theories about the world that I've been spouting for years to have somebody like, actually, Lauren, you're right. And we are going to put you in a position of authority where you can talk about this at a higher level or to the change makers or something. That would be the best thing people could say to me. Well, I, I, I certainly want to second and third anything I've said to you that uh, isn't about me uh, and the, the the words that you found kind. Uh, I Yeah, I 100% meant them. And I, I, I not only have enormous respect for you and the research that you've done, and I, I would venture to say more out of personal satisfaction than just 
to get a good grade. I feel that your interest in adoration of just the idea that like something that is so beneficial to our species happens in performative ways. The idea that it has a history and a school and so much academia that you could put into it when it's happening is so simple. And then the outcome is so complex and beautiful. You know what I mean? That weird thing in the middle of complexity is the actual performance of improv. And you see what comes out of the other side and you've read and understand where it comes from. Knowing you in general is wonderful, but also knowing that I know someone who has this studied is is wonderful. And I, I feel so grateful that you wanted to be on this show and talk about it with me, even though there's so much more we could have covered. But sometimes working within limitations of time is is a beautiful way to see what happens. <laughs> so thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And I, you know, I was I was thinking the same thing about like human psychology or conversations like nonviolent communication. They seem so simple and yet it's so profound that there are schools and studies about like how to have a conversation which is very comparable to improv. So yeah, and and I appreciate everything you're saying and I hope that we have many more conversations. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Todd Donald Show. Starring, produced, and edited by Todd Donald. The piano music in the rap is by J.P. Sunga, who you can find at jpsunga.com. The theme music is Mackie Alkino by William Chernoff. Find him at chernoff.band. And I'm Milo Axelrod, Todd's favorite bar none human voice. And I'm not bragging, he wrote this. If you'd like to hear more of my voice, check out my podcast, Describing a Rock in which I describe some rocks. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please support The Todd Donald Show by sharing it with anyone who might enjoy it. Follow and interact with at Todd Donald Show on Twitter and Instagram. And if you feel like going the extra mile on iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review, preferably in its favor. Have a great day, friends. Thank you.